Hello and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, coming to you from two SER studios in Sydney on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. Broadcast right around Australia on the Community Radio Network and around the world, wherever you get your podcasts. Each week, we take a closer look at the business issues making up the news. This program is made possible by the assistance of the UTS Business School. In the rapidly changing world of startups and entrepreneurship, it is now more important than ever for issues of ethics and dignity to be centred by new platforms. Unicorn tech companies with hundreds of millions of users literally change our world. And an understanding of the ethical implications of these products and services is important to keep front of mind from the start. Today on the show, we'll be exploring ethics, dignity, and how they relate to artificial intelligence and entrepreneurship. Joining me in the studio is Loren Ruster, a PhD candidate at the School of Cybernetics at the Australian National University, and Anne-Marie Elias, a professional fellow at UTS Startups. Loren, Anne-Marie, welcome to Think Business Futures. Thanks so much for joining me. Hey, thank you for having us. Great to be here. Loren, let's start with you. We're looking at centering dignity in artificial intelligence systems in the entrepreneurial space. Loren, what does this mean? Why don't you break down for us what your research focuses on? Sure. Well, it's a lot of big words there. And my research topic is really interested in how we might center dignity in the development of artificial intelligence systems, particularly from the perspective of entrepreneurs. And the reason for that is that entrepreneurs are building things of the future. They're at the coalface of what could be next. And instead of retrofitting things like responsibility or ethical development afterwards, I'm really keen to understand how we might centre things like dignity, which is really important for ensuring that future tech doesn't dehumanise us right at the beginning of the process when they're starting out. So I'm working with really early stage entrepreneurs and doing some practical work with them to see how they can put a principle like dignity into practice in what they're doing. Was there a moment where this was it was there a light bulb moment where you thought this is something that is very important for us to focus on because I think that mm-hmm. as you explain it it's obvious that it's something that should be in front of mind you know at the start of, of any entrepreneurial endeavor yet as as you identify it's it's not at the center of a lot of these startups and entrepreneur entrepreneurial endeavors was there a moment where you thought this is something that I want to look into I think how I got to the topic for my PhD was a culmination of a few different experiences over, say, the past 10 years or so. One was that I went to Singularity University back in 2014, which is essentially this experience where you go to Silicon Valley and you live in the future for a few months. You learn about all of this groundbreaking technology that's going to change the world and you create prototypes of things that could leverage the latest technology and impact a billion people in 10 years. And I was in this buzz of all of the amazing potential of technology. And there weren't too many conversations at that time, this was back in 2014, about well, what could go wrong? Uh, what could potentially be some of the unintended consequences of this technology? And then a couple of years later, I was a global fellow with Acumen, which is an impact investor. And their whole philosophy is that when we think about entrepreneurship and we think about poverty in the world, not just poverty in terms of income, but broader senses of poverty, that the opposite of poverty is actually not wealth, but it's actually dignity. And so I suppose I've been on a journey of trying to combine those two worlds together, the promise and potential of technology and the centering of dignity in that journey. And I suppose from there, I've been on a journey to uh, see how I can combine them together and 
in my previous work life, working as a consultant and uh, working specifically in Indigenous affairs and understanding a lot more about how to think in broad systems and how to really centre relationships even furthered this uh, sort of motivation of mine to see how all these things could work together. And that's what brought me to the School of Cybernetics, which takes a real systems view of how technology exists, not just as the technology itself, but also in a broader system of human and environmental factors. And after doing the master's program there and exploring a bit more about how dignity could be a core part of uh, artificial intelligence design, development and implementation, I then decided to do a PhD and further explore that more and specifically focus on the role of entrepreneurs in in that uh, combination of dignity and artificial intelligence. Mm, okay. Now, before we move on to you, Anne-Marie, Loren, you've used the word dignity a lot. So let's define it for our audience. Uh, what do we mean by dignity in, in the context that we're talking about today? It's a great question. And that's one of the things that I've been looking into a lot is lots of people seem to have like an innate sense of that dignity is important, but when you ask someone what dignity is, you get a lot of different uh, responses. And so part of my research has been to look at concepts of dignity across different, different disciplines and really engage in the plurality of what dignity means. And so there's lots of different concepts, but I suppose four that I've started to distill out and I'm starting to talk about more, for example, in this workshop that I'm running with the Spark Festival, are this idea of universal dignity. So this is very connected to the human rights based view of dignity, that everyone has it, you can't give it, you can't take it away, it's unique to humans. So that's probably the first one. The second one that comes up a lot is dignity of choice, which is really connected to autonomy. So people having the right and a dignity to choose to make independent decisions and to take risks. And often we see that in the context of aged care or we see that in the context of consumer consumer rights when it comes to technology. The third concept that I've been thinking a lot with is dignity as an experience. So a sense of feeling dignified, feeling seen, feeling heard, feeling listened to feeling acknowledged, feeling safe, not just physically safe, but also psychologically safe. And the fourth one that I, you know, pull out for this purpose is more non-Western views of dignity, which is in the sense of it being communal responsibility. So dignity is not, is only instrumentally good. It's only good if it's directed towards a communal good. And in the context of doing that, you sort of reinforce your own individual dignity. So my work is really engaging in the plurality of what these meanings of dignity are and looking at how that gets translated into, say, AI ethics instruments or not, and what we might be able to learn from engaging with lots of different ways of thinking about dignity across disciplines and also across cultures. Okay. Now, Anne-Marie, um, you're working in the world of startups and entrepreneurship, and you know these are people and organizations that use a lot of AI, especially sort of, you know, on the cutting edge. Can you give us an outline of the landscape of ethics in the way that it's centered in startups, if at all, and perhaps some examples of where we see some pitfalls occurring where dignity and ethics aren't centered at the beginning, at the founding of a startup or a company that uses AI in their systems? Yeah, I think this is such an important question. We're, we're in a period where data is the new gold, mm. right? And data is the behind the scenes of artificial intelligence. And if you remove the human from looking at artificial intelligence as an enabler of, of humans and you start to fall in love with the technology in and of itself, 
and you remove the lens of unintended consequences or does this dignify the person? I mean, it's great. Uh, you know, I love the idea of having cameras all over a nursing home, but where is the personal dignity of, of a human being in that landscape? So this is a tension that I think everyone faces and increasingly now because people are giving up their data so willingly and easily. You know, everyone freaked out about the Optus stuff, but at the end of the day, we are constantly signing over our rights every single day on apps and, you know, social media platforms that we engage with. So the importance of ethics in that is critical, but is it standard in startup world? No, it's not. Mm. You know, startup world is is very cowboyish and cowgirlish. You know, it's like build fast, you know, iterate fast, fail fast, which is great when you're just testing something. But when you're putting something out to the market which exposes people's vulnerability, like their personal data, where they might be going. I mean, we've seen this stuff, for example, around family and domestic violence, that there are apps that people, you know, partners, violent partners can actually trace where their partner is. Mm. And so how do we mitigate those risks? And there are some great startups that have come up and like they've got a shopping list app, which is actually a safety app. So no one can break into that except for the person that owns the phone. You know, Afterpay, great concept, but really putting people into further debt and especially young people. Was that a consequence that they had thought through? Probably not. But is it right at the end of the day? And you don't see those unintended consequences until something plays out or unless you mitigate those risks as you're building something. And the best way to do that is user experience. The user has got to be the central figure in this. And this has always been my mantra. Like we talk so much about innovation. We talk so much about technology. They're enablers. The real innovation occurs with humans. And you remove humans, like with robo-debt, you remove human oversight and it literally costs people's lives, Mm. right? And that's government doing that to people, right? And shame on them. (laughs) Like really angry about that because that... That is not the role of government. Mm. And, you know, there would have been so many people that would have raised the red flag and were shut down because government likes to keep a lid on things. So the view of cybernetics, as you know, complex as it might seem, is something that we all face every day. It's decisions that we make when we're building something, when we're putting anything out into the universe that talks about other people or you know, how how we might use artificial intelligence in the best way possible and in the best interest of humanity. Mm, Okay. You've touched on three previous episodes of this show. You've touched on robo-debt, something we talked about with social welfare in Australia. Uh, You also touched on data, which is something that we've explored as an aside almost. How much of the, you know, apparent lack of centering of ethics and dignity through these companies do you think lies on the shoulders of the entrepreneurs that are looking to make good money and are following this sort of fail fast, fail often approach and things, and to the lack of regulation that is a product of the speed of innovation in this space? I think lack of regulation is actually the problem here because cowboys will be cowboys, cowgirls will be cowgirls, people will, you know, rough shot over things to make stuff happen and that's just life and that's, the you know, the way the world works. The problem with technology and innovation is the government is playing catch up. 
mm. which is why I think ethics, which has always been this difficult legal jargon thing, needs to actually be brought front and centre so that it's it's not even something you you can skip, right? And with ethics comes how's this going to impact on different audiences, different people, you know, where is the dignity in this? Like, do we have to be careful? You know, do we have to make people aware of what they're signing off? Loren, let's move on to some of the some of the work that you're doing. Do you want to just tell us a little bit more about the places in which you're sort of looking at ethics being centred in terms of these AI systems? When we think about broader responsibility, and this is one of the things that, that the School of Cybernetics is really focused on, is safe, sustainable and responsible scale of these technologies, particularly AI-enabled technologies. We're not just thinking about them in one snapshot of time. We're thinking about them across timescales as they scale over time. And when I think about why I'm so interested in working with entrepreneurs is because they're the ones at the very beginnings of these journeys and where they sort of start does determine a particular trajectory that they go on. And so the idea that we can embed responsible practice, embed concepts like dignity from the beginning means that those products, those services, those organizational cultures have that ethical, responsible, dignity-centered approach from the beginning. And that creates a different type of root system of that organization, which then creates different types of processes and hopefully then enables, you know, more responsible technologies. So I'm really interested in that early, early stage because yes, there's an onus on the on the entrepreneur. And that onus is also on the broader ecosystem. That entrepreneur is operating in a much wider ecosystem of funding requirements and funding pressures, of market requirements, of um, customer needs. And so if we start to think about that entrepreneur in a broader ecosystem, which is something that's really core to, to how cybernetics sees the world as these systems of human, environmental and technological uh, systems all working together, then obviously it adds a complexity, but it also adds other ways to think about, well, how could we really influence a system? So yes, there is a way of influencing via regulation and there's also other ways to influence via more proactive mechanisms. So the way I see regulation is a really important part of the process, but it's also a particular view of responsibility that takes into account protecting us from things going wrong. So at the heart of a lot of regulatory practices is, you know, do no harm, make sure we prevent some bad things from happening and or remedy for them if they do happen. And when it comes to dignity, I've sort of tried to frame dignity as an ecosystem, not just of protective measures, so not just of ways to uh, stop dignity violations from occurring, but also of proactive measures. So what can we do to actually enable dignity? What can we do to move us forward, not just protect where we are, the current state of where we are? And I think it's that combination of both proactive and protective things working together that can really uh, change the dial, particularly when it comes to entrepreneurs and they're starting out, they're creating this, the practices, the organisational culture that can really determine what type of products they, they create moving forward. Mm. Do you have any examples of what this might look like? I have. Yeah. Actually, sorry. So Please, I want to look at Airbnb, right? Great idea. It was looking at underutilised assets, right? So they saw that there was an influx of tourism in their town and not enough hotels. 
So they had a spare room. They went and bought an air mattress. This is the old story. Mm. And then they got inquiries from other countries of people saying, hey, I'm going to Greece in the summer. Do you have something like that? So this was a beautiful idea about underutilised assets and having old mate or old grandma or old auntie using some space in, in their home to earn an extra income. Fast forward, I don't know, however many years later, and people start buying property to put on the market for Airbnb. Mm. Right. That is not the intent. That wasn't the original intent. So when I was thinking about Lorraine saying, well, whose responsibility is it? It's everyone's responsibility. So the Airbnb founders have a moral obligation to go, hang on a sec, this is really diverging from, but they didn't care because greed. And at the end of the day, they had all these properties being put on and blah, blah, blah. So they didn't regulate what could happen through their mechanism. Equally, governments were like, oh, yeah, you beauty, extra accommodation, didn't think about what it was going to do to hotels, didn't think ultimately what it's now doing to affordable rental all over the world. So now I realise it's no one single responsibility. And because we're always playing catch up, the government's probably going to be the last to be mitigating those risks. Mm. But the founders, I think, have an obligation and why the stuff that Loren is actually studying and will have content and guides and four fields that you look through your startup at will give you those tools to be able to mitigate those risks early. Mm. And that is a gift, like truly. I think one of the important things that you mentioned there, well, the, one of the challenging things that you mentioned there was why didn't they think about this at the start? And of course, the, they'll always move towards greed. Now, two aspects to this. Number one, I think it's difficult for founders to envisage where their technology will land in in a decade's time, you know, and and what the ethical implications might be. How do how do we, how do we forecast where a technology is going to go? As you mentioned, Airbnb started as an air mattress in a in a study, and now it's people buying houses to put on the market, and it's changed the whole housing affordability system in our in our country. And yet you, we have ESG, right? So what it tells me is ESG is total rubbish because it's impact. It's meant to be measuring for all companies, startups, scale-ups, you know, big industries and so forth. And yet it's actually falling short. Mm, absolutely. I, I I agree with that for sure. And, and that's an interesting thing to touch on too. But like we can also look at an example like Facebook and the way that their platform has changed. It's the biggest social media app in the world. And now they're using AI in terms of algorithms that are keeping people inside political and social echo chambers that is causing division globally. And this isn't something that they foresaw. Yet, if you listen to Mark Zuckerberg talk about how Facebook functions now and what its intention is and what it might be, you know, going back to ESG, it's all very noble causes when it comes out of his mouth. He's trying to make the world a better place by giving people more access to each other and information and all those sorts of things. So I guess the fear is that there's just immediate obfuscation by the founders of these companies finding a narrative that sort of fits where their platform has landed. Mm. Is that a concern, Loren? Well, it's really interesting mm. because I think we touched on something that is an interesting way into having these conversations. Because often when we start 
with the sense of, you know, let's have a conversation about being responsible or being ethical. There's a visceral reaction to that. You know, I'm a startup founder. I'm here to make a product work. Help me work out how to do that. And one of the things that I've worked with is with one of the startups that I've worked with is actually starting the conversation with a futures forecasting style of conversation, which seems much more accessible. Uh, and also startup founders are dealing in the future all the time. They're pitching to funders, they're projecting their customer acquisition rates and their profit margins, and they're, they're constantly dealing in the future. They're selling a vision of the future all the time when it comes to raising money. However, they're not necessarily applying that same skill set to thinking about unintended consequences. When I've had some of these conversations with startup founders, often they're starting from a place of we're just building a neutral platform. And this starting spot of neutrality is a real challenge when you're starting to talk about responsibility. And what I found is by doing some futures-focused activities, and there's lots of these out there, there's lots of um, institutions and places that are that are really great at you know showing you how you can think about the future, creating scenarios, thinking about future customers, thinking about how they would move through a future world. Ultimately, thinking about what type of future your product or service, if it goes to scale like you've been telling everyone else it will, what type of future will that actually enable and look like? And when we put it in those terms, a few things happened. One was that we we looked at trends and we looked at sort of signals in the market, all things that they were doing anyway. They're always exchanging, oh, did you see this? Did you see that? This is a bit like us. This is good news for us. This is not so great. And really what we did was just try and formalize that process in a way, get them to focus in on some of these trends, some of the things that are likely to stay the same and some of the signals, some of the sort of blimps of the future that that they're starting to see and putting those together in a way that crafts a future of what the future could look like in 10, 15 years, 20 years. And then thinking, well, how does the product or service that we're creating contribute to that future? Does it get us closer to that future or does it get us closer to this type of future? And by doing that, there was a click, there was a shift that actually what we're doing is not neutral. Like we are Mm. actively shaping the future Mm. with the technology that we're creating. And ultimately this futuring process really brought that to light. And today we see the same thing with social media technologies, with a smartphone, how these things are shaping our attention spans, how there's a creation of new illnesses like nomophobia, no mobile phone phobia, where, you know, we're stressing out if we don't have access to our phone or Nintendonitis. Like these are the actual terms for these conditions. And so when you put it in that frame, that what you're doing is you're shaping what this technology does, and that technology can then shape us as a human species. It brings a much more expansive view to the decisions they're making and the responsibility they hold, not from the sense of we need to cover our butts for when things go wrong, like this sort of liability version of responsibility, not from a sense of we need to check some check boxes so that people can show, see that we've done what we need to do, that we've met a target or a threshold, but from a different place of what responsibility means, from a place where it's like responsibility is power, like there's a responsibility that comes with the power that we hold right now creating technologies that could in turn then shape us in the future. And that, I feel, has had some impact and cut through to shift a startup founder's mindset around, well, what they're doing, if it goes to scale, it's going to potentially shape humans, so we better be really intentional about the decisions that we're making right now. 
Amory, how do you regulate it? I mean, we're talking about being really early stages on the front foot with companies that might not have any revenue. How do you regulate it? I think we just have to be mindful, right? Like we just have to be mindful about the impact of every decision that we make, every thing that we do. And listening listening to Loren about all the work that she's doing and all the different examples, you know, that are facing us every day. And this is very profound. We have to shape that technology because it is shaping us, mm. every aspect of our lives. I think there's a lot more we can do to embed this new idea of ethics in everyone, whether it's a small business, a startup or, or an existing industry. You know, I think that is really, really important because it's not common practice at the moment. And then on the other side, government needs to think, like even with letting Uber in, you know, it's now paying <laughs> compensation to taxis, mm. right? So I, I don't think there was any attempt to get taxis into the new world order. Interestingly, the new Minister for Industry, Science and Technology is Ed Husick, and he's been saying we need to invent more stuff here. Mm. We need to lead as a country. But in doing that comes a lot more responsibility in how the government can then step in and encourage, but also temper, or at least ask the questions. You blink and you get something like no one can afford affordable rental accommodation in this country, not even people that are working, mm. right? Like, I mean, that's in, that's an insane problem to have to retrofit on because this is years of ignoring unintended consequences of a whole bunch of stuff, not just Airbnb, but a 10-year wait list in social housing, for example. Mm. And that's a government responsibility, frankly. And yet with all the rules and all the risk mitigation and all of that, the problem just keeps getting worse. Yeah, absolutely. It is actually time for us to wrap up. But Loren, let's let's finish off with, you mentioned that it's applied work that you're doing. So where you hope it will be applied and what you hope for your, some of the outcomes of your work. So definitely it is applied work. So I'm at the moment I'm working with three startups that are using AI, building AI and have come to me saying, we, we want to be responsible. We want to work out how to do this, help us do it. And so a lot of my work is, you know, translating that intention into practice and hopefully creating some demonstration cases to then show others how it can be done. So that's that's a core part of my work for, for the next little bit. And also we're, we're running a workshop on the 26th of October called So You Want to Be Ethical, Now What?, which is part of the Spark Festival. So if you are an entrepreneur listening to this and you want to work out, well, what what's the relevance of dignity to my product or service, then uh, there's a place to, to sort of explore some more. And later in November, the, the School of Cybernetics is actually launching officially. Uh, and so there'll be a lot of different events to explore how cybernetics, which is this way of seeing the world as systems of technological, environmental and human factors, how that's relevant to the future of technology. So if you're in Canberra or you're around Canberra, 30th of November, 1st of December, there'll be lots of things happening um, at the Australian National University to get involved with as well. Amazing. I encourage all our listeners to get involved. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for. Loren, Anne-Marie, thanks so much for joining me on Think Business Futures. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Think Business Futures. Thank you to my guests, Loren Ruster and Anne-Marie Elias. 
You can listen and share this chat wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to get Think Business Futures in your feed each week. And please support the show by leaving a review. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, and I'll see you again somewhere in the world of business next week.